Okay, so we're going to be uh, continuing to explore today the the deity of Christ, what it means for Christ to be God. Uh, last week we were looking at several places in Scripture where uh, we could see direct claims to Christ being God, whether that be claims that others were making towards Him or whether that be uh, Christ making those claims uh, himself directly. Today we're going to be looking at evidence that we see in Scripture uh, that could only be explained uh, if Christ were were God. So um, we're going to look at several different um, kind of not necessarily all of these probably don't fall like clearly into a particular attribute of God. Some of them clearly will, like the first couple we're going to see um, omnipotence, omniscience, um, omnipresence. Um, so, so we're going to see some some clear signs in Scripture uh, that Christ that Christ was God in the flesh. So, if you would flip with me uh, to the book of Matthew, we're going to be uh, we're going to be a couple of the passages that we're going to look at um, this morning. Several of them actually are going to, going to be in Matthew. So, we're going to look at a couple um, these specifically that we're looking at here. Flip with me to Matthew chapter. Matthew chapter 8, uh, we'll start looking here, um, I'm going to start reading in verse 23, we'll look through 23 through 27 here, um, so as we kind of, as we kind of look at this, uh, there's, there's a lot to take out of, there's a lot to take out of this, like I think that specifically this particular verse here, um, we see we see a couple of things that like we see the nature of Christ's humanity as well as like the constant presence of His power. Um, so, uh, verse twenty three, Matthew chapter eight, and when he got on the boat, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. Now, why do we sleep? Like, what's the purpose of sleep? Why do you sleep? Because you're tired. Your body is tired, and by sleeping, you kind of get refreshed. You 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 draw strength for the for the next day, right? So um, Jesus fell asleep. What 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 does that tell us about Jesus's body? That he grew tired. So so this God who this God who grows tired wakes up and speaks. And calms storms. Like, like this should be strange, right? Like, if you can say, peace be still, and it be still, and you're the same, like, you needed to sleep? Like, that, there's, a, there's a strangeness to this. There's several times in, in, yeah, there's several times in Scripture where we see, the, the, and they're amazed by it, right? Like, this is, this, these type of actions, they're like, who is this? Like, who who is this that I have to go? I, I feel like right, like like Jesus. Like, what the reality is is while Jesus sleeps, he holds all of creation in existence by the power of his word. Right, like this is like the 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 strange reality that is God and man in in Christ Jesus. Here is that he he needed to sleep so that his body could. Could could rest um, and and be renewed like his energy be renewed. Yet he could, he could stand up at any moment um, and speak uh, calm to these storms. So this is what he does here. And they 
They went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Like how, there's part there's a part of me that as I as I consider what was going on here, what if they had had faith to not go wake Jesus? <laughs> Right, like, what if they were just like, we got Jesus with us. As long as Jesus is with us, this ship ain't sinking, right? Like, like, would would they have just made it through the storm, or was it was was it like, is it intended that they go wake him up so that he could show them exactly who it is that's sleeping on the boat peacefully with them, right? So, uh, I think I think it was what he was disappointed in was their reaction. You know, not not. The faith was that we're gonna drown. Yeah, like Jesus is with us; he's asleep; he's not paying attention. We're gonna drown. We're gonna drown. Or they could have said, you know, Jesus is with us; we're not gonna drown. Well, which would have been pretty cool in and of itself, but they didn't. They didn't think that way, right? Like they see him asleep; they're like, "What's going on here? Save us, Lord! We're perishing!" And he's on the same boat as them. So if if the, if this that they're saying is true, then Jesus would have been perishing along. Side them, right? Save the sword, we're perishing. He said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a small calm. What does it say there? There was a there was a great calm. Like when Jesus this would have been a sight to behold. You imagine that you're in a storm. How 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 chaotic it is, especially if you're in a serious storm. These these guys were not like they're not new to being out on the waters here. Like they they're they're familiar with storms. Like this was a storm significant enough that they were fearful for their lives, and they go and wake Jesus up, and he's like, "Why are you afraid? You have little faith." And then he he rebukes the winds and the waves, and there is a great calm it says no small calm but a great calm so you imagine being there the storm raging all around you jesus getting up from his slumber right like how many of you wake up and when you wake up you're perfectly alert right like jesus the same jesus that needs to sleep is is probably the same jesus who needs a little coffee in the morning (laughs) yeah what are you doing Okay. <laughs> 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 Who's gonna wake him up? <laughs> yeah, they like open the door. They open the door to where he's sleeping so that he can hear the storm outside. Maybe that'll wake him up, right? And they're like, guys, he's snoozing hard over here. Somebody's gonna have to wake him up. Who's gonna be that does it? And they go and wake him up, and then he's like. Why are you afraid? Why do you have little little faith? Little faith, like they're not like they. It seems to me like they had faith enough to come wake him up, though, right? Like we're gonna die if you don't save us. So they wake him up, but he's like, "You have little faith." And he rose, rebuked the winds and the seas, and there was a great storm. And and the men marveled, saying, "What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him?" Alright, so if there's a storm and it can be calmed, who does that? Like, who has the, the capability, n- not of predicting the weather, but changing it? Right? Because this is, like, Jesus is not playing meteorologist, like, guys, why do you got so little faith? Watch it, it's about to end, right? Like, I'm predicting the storm will pass. Like, this is not what Jesus is doing. Jesus speaks and changes the weather. 
What kind of power can do that? Like we are, we live in a a super technologically advanced society. We cannot change the weather, right? We cannot, with all that we have, with all that we know, predict it beyond a handful of days successfully, right? Yet this man wakes up from his slumber and speaks, and it goes calm, right? Like they marveled at this. This is the kind of power that shows who Jesus is, that he commands the winds and waves, and the winds and waves obey him. Flip to... Matthew chapter 14 with me. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 14 verse uh, 19. Let's see. We may start a little bit, a little bit higher in this. We're going to be looking specifically at verse uh, 19 through through 21. We'll probably let's just read the let's just read the whole thing, the whole kind of uh, account here. We'll look at verse 13 is where we'll start. Um, pay attention though as we get down into close and around 19, 20, 21. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. When the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. And he went ashore. Um, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages to buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. Give them something to eat. And they said to him, We have five loaves of bread here and two fish. Um, so before we kind of jump down into that next, that next piece, how many people could five, could five loaves and two fish feed? <laughs> how many Americans? <laughs> it's like maybe two. <laughs> yeah, right. Like we're going to be needing an appetizer to come along with this tiny entree that we're sharing, right? So we've got very little food, and the point of like they're saying this is like we barely got enough for us if we eat light, right? Like, what do you mean we're going to feed them? Like they need to go away. Um, and Jesus says, they need not go away. Uh, you give them something to eat. They said, we have only five loaves here and two fish. Like, what are we going to do with, what are we going to do with this? Uh, and he said, bring them here to me. And he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Now, what's going to be crazy is when we see, like, how many people here ate. Right, um, and and there are many ways that you could speculate about that people have speculated to try to to try to come about um, like natural causes here, like maybe Jesus and his generosity caused all of the people who actually had food with them to start sharing with one another. Like that's one way that people have tried to um, kind of normalize this particular miracle that we find in Scripture. But this is not the point that Scripture is trying to teach to us. Scripture is not trying to teach here that Jesus taking a little bit of fish was an example to those others who had food to share around them. Jesus tells His disciples to feed them. They know they can't. He says, bring it here, and He does, right? Like, that's the point of this text. All of this text is not pointing towards like a moral victory that you caused others to share. This text is pointing to the one who feeds you all. Right? That's who Jesus is. So he takes these, he takes these loaves and these fish here, 
um, verse 18, and he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and, and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Right, so Jesus takes the loaves, breaks the loaves, gives the disciples the, the disciples disperse it. Verse twenty, and they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up twelve baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children. So, is there any way? That five loaves. I, I think that that if we were actually hungry here, like the crowd that we've got here this morning, I think that if we were actually hungry and in need of food, that five loaves and two fish would be. We would struggle hard for everyone in this room to be satisfied by it. Right? There would be no leftovers unless none of us liked fish and bread. Right? Like that'd be about the only way. If we were legitimately hungry, there would be no way that there would be any leftovers at all. No not only does Jesus here perform a miracle where there's sufficient for the for the feeding of five thousand plus, but he provides in a way to where there's excess and leftovers. Right, like there's more than enough that Jesus provides in this miracle. This is there is no rational, no reasonable, no natural ex- explanation for what's taking place here. This is the multiplying of bread and fish. This is a great and powerful miracle um, that we see Jesus performing here. Um, everyone ate, everyone was satisfied, and there were leftovers, and there were more than 5,000 people. There were 5,000 men, um, and that's not counting the women and children uh, that were there among them as well. So Scripture gives us, and there are, there are many places that we could look uh, to kind of see examples of Christ displaying power that is an unexplainable kind of power. Like another place that you could look to would be Christ raising himself, and we'll get there in a little bit, Christ raising himself from the dead. Like he has the power of uh, over life uh, and death. So um, Christ is all-powerful. Uh, John chapter flip. We're going to look at we're going to look at Christ um, several places in Scripture, uh, specifically in John, where Christ displays um, an unexplainable knowledge of people and events. So, uh, John chapter two. If you'll flip, if you'll flip there with me. John chapter two. Verses 23-25 Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. He knew what? All people. This doesn't say that he knew the people specifically there. Right? This is he knows all all people. He knew, and we're going to see a couple of places where this is, uh, where where all knowledge is attributed to Jesus in Scripture. So this is one account. He knew all people and needed no one to work, to bear witness about um, about man, for he himself knew what is in man. 
right? So this is this this particular scripture here is speaking that that Jesus knows all the hearts of men. Um, specifically, he knows what makes us up, right? Like it can it can speak singularly about Jesus's knowledge of us. So Jesus has a knowledge of man, mankind, of each of us individually. Uh, that there is that there is no normal natural explanation of uh, where he would come to this particular knowledge. So Jesus has Jesus has. Uh, and there are several places in Scripture that display Jesus' kind of uncanny knowledge um, that, that can't really be explained by, um, by natural, natural means. So flip um, to John chapter, uh, John chapter 6. Look at another place here. John chapter 6. We're going to look at verse 64. So John chapter 6, verse 64. And I would encourage you again to kind of go back and find these passages, like kind of read in the context of where they sit. We're Just for time's sake, we're going to be often on these not reading the whole section. So John chapter 6, verse 64 here. But there are some of you who do not believe. So this is Jesus speaking here. And then it says of him, For Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Right? So... Um, Jesus, not only does he know the heart of man, he knows who will believe, um, he knows who will not believe, and he knows who will betray him. Um, uh, several weeks back, we were, we were speaking, um, kind of, we came across the, the, the passage of text where Jesus is gathered around the table and he, he makes known to his disciples that one of them will, be, will betray him. And his disciples don't immediately like point to be like, yeah, that's Judas, we know that's Judas. Jesus knew from the very beginning that it was Judas, right? Like when Jesus said, follow me, and he was referring to Judas, he knew that Judas would one day betray him, right? So like this is another, this is another, uh, another place in Scripture where we see this, um, that Jesus' knowledge in this regard not only applies to somebody like Judas, but to, uh, but to everyone. Like he knows who will and won't believe, and he knows who will um, betray him. So this is, a, this is a knowledge that Jesus has that is, um, that is beyond normal natural uh, explanation. This is um, this 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 is a, a kind of knowledge that would that would give us uh, evidence or an idea that he uh, that he has a knowledge beyond um, like natural human like this is a godlike knowledge to know the hearts of man to know um, to know accurately who will and won't believe and who will betray like that is a that is a a godlike knowledge that Jesus displays. Um, and he does that. He does that several places in Scripture. So flip um, John chapter twenty-one now. So kind of flip on along uh, John chapter twenty-one, verse verse seventeen here. Well, actually, I'm gonna start in fifteen. But pay attention to what to what 
is said of Christ's knowledge uh, when we get to verse 17 there. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. Verse 17. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, uh, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. Right? So before he already said, You know that I love you, right? But he says it, he says, like, he wants to get the point across here, right? And you can see why it would grieve him as well, specifically because he believes what he's saying of Christ here, right? So you imagine, like, if you knew me better than I know me, and you ask me, do you love me, right? And I know in my head, you know the answer to this, I could not lie to you. And I say, yeah, I love you. And then you, you, you dramatically ask me again, do you love me? And at this point, I'm like, you know I love you. You know this, right? You know I love you. And then you pause again, and you say, do you love me? At this point, like in my mind, I'm starting to question my like like why would you ask me a third? Right? Like I know that you know, and now I'm starting to get worried because before you ask me a third, I thought yes. Right? Like like, like at this point it's like do you what do you say? Like you know everything. You know that I love you. Or you know I don't, right? Like, you would know this. This is not like, you don't need me to tell you, right? And that's what he's getting at here. Not only do you know that I love you, but you know everything. So when he's speaking to Christ here, like, we see what the disciples thought of him, right? You know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Right, and then he goes on to kind of give a little a little prophecy here. Um, so yes, Jesus knew everything. Jesus knew his end and what it would be. Right, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying. Um, this to him, he said to him, follow me. Right? And then Peter's like, what about him though? Because <laughs> he knows like whatever Jesus is saying here is true, right? So it's like, Jesus, he knows that Jesus knows everything. He knows that Jesus knows that he loves him. He knows when he hears Jesus say this about him, that it shall come to pass, Right? Like, he's already been through this once. Like, no, Jesus, no matter what, I'll never betray you. And Jesus is like, oh, yeah, here's the terms by which you'll see yourself not betray me. Right? But then now, this time around, right, do you love me? You know I love you. You love me? You know I love you. You love me? You're going to die for me. Right? Like, like, like there's a, there's a, there's a weight to this for him as well, right? Like, like before, like, what, no, I don't want to die. Nobody wants to die, right? But the one who knows everything knows that the next time that is put before me, I won't fail like I did before, right? 
Like he knows that this, me seeing him raised, me knowing the work that he's done has now changed me too. So that I don't have to, like, because you would worry, right? You would worry. That thought would cross your mind. Am I going to fail him again? Now he's questioning. Maybe I don't. Maybe I don't love him. Right? Like, 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 maybe I don't love him like I thought I did. And he's like, truly I tell you, you'll die for me. Right? And this wasn't to be to him like, be scared. Right? This is following through like this, this same type pattern you denied me three. Now, yes, I know you love me. I know you love me. And you're going to die for me. What a, what a right? wonderful affirmation yeah. that like, you love me all the way. Yeah. Yeah. Right? You love me. Right? Like, and so even in that doubt that he might have been feeling in that moment, right? Like when the Savior says, you love me to the point of death, that's something different, right? You, now you can draw from that a knowledge of yourself that Jesus knows of you, right? So Jesus, like that's the kind of knowledge that he's displaying in texts like this, right? Like he knew your heart prior to the cross because he knew what you would do in that moment. And now He knows your heart. Yes, He knows everything. Right? Yes, He knows you love Him. And He knows you love Him to the point of death now. To the point that He can tell you, in case there's any shadow of doubt in your mind, that when that moment comes, you'll lay your life down for me. That's how much you love me. relying on Himself to love God prior to the cross. Yeah. And then He saw the cross and the resurrection. Yeah, yeah, and it does. Like the resurrect, the resurrected Christ changed him. Um, and I, and I, I, w- I would probably say up to this point, like the way that he's like distressing over this is that it changed him more than he even realized in this moment that it changed him, right? So like we see, we see here. <clears throat> Like Jesus is not like threatening him with this, but 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 in in many ways, like like this would be a comforting thing, right? Because um, when he was faced with this situation before, he he thought he was confident in Christ, and he found out that he's not, and that can that can tear you down like that can like you know how it is like if you think that you're one thing and then life comes at you in a way that makes you realize you're not like that forces you into a place where it's like I don't even know myself now and now the knowledge that Christ has displayed here this like powerful knowledge not only of people he does not only does he know the heart but he knows um, he knows the particulars of life and the events that will come and he here predicts that Jesus will follow him um, or that uh, Peter here will follow follow him uh, to death. Now, of course, like this is one of those things that even for even for Peter, um, this is something you, you this probably landed hard on him in that moment, right? Because you can see the the normal him that's that <laughs> kind of come out when he's like, well, what about this guy though? Like, <laughs> right? Like what? A, yeah. Well, that's that. We all find ourselves there, right? So Jesus, like, the thing that we know is that Jesus knows where he will be, right? Because had it happened this moment, maybe if Jesus was standing there with him, yeah, right? Like, we would hope that seeing the resurrected Jesus would have changed the man who runs and says, no, I don't even know the man to be the guy that would die. But what we see in this moment is that it's not, a, it's not like a day one, day two. Like, there's a growth that happens here because he even has to, like, wrestle with this himself because as soon as he hears it, 
Like he's not immediately overjoyed. Yes, I'm, uh, I love Jesus so much that I'm going to die for Jesus. But he's like, well, who else is going to die for you, right? Like, like let's, let's shift this a little bit. Um, so this scripture and passages like this, um, this shows us evidence that Jesus had a knowledge. And this came to pass, right? Like this shows that Jesus had a knowledge um, outside of the realm of, of, of normal um, everyday human like intuition, right? Like he wasn't speculating here. Like when Jesus spoke these things, like he was he was speaking he was speaking truth before the events even uh, took took place here. So um, the next one we're going to look at at, at Christ's uh, presence. Like what does he say about his presence with us? Um, so we'll look at two passages of text here in Matthew. So flip to Matthew chapter eighteen. <clears throat> And all of these, along with the passages that we looked at last week, are just further building up this this kind of supporting evidence that Jesus was... Like, there's no way to explain the life of Jesus um, if we deny that Jesus was anything but, but God in the flesh. Um, because the, the things that He does are unexplainable otherwise. So, um, 18, uh, go uh, to verse 20. So this is Jesus speaking. So for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Right? So this is, and Jesus is not speaking here in this sense like, like, uh, metaphorically right like like if you have a loved one that dies right like and it's you're trying to explain to a young kid or something like that you're like there's a piece of them with you all this is not the sense in which jesus is using that right like he's not using that in in that same way that we would use that about other people he's using that in the sense that like the presence of in the presence of god there is power that when christ is with us there the power of christ not like he's with us in our hearts like i'm air quoting that in a a, a little bit right like like you know like he'll always be with you no no no. the same jesus who raises from the dead and raises himself from the dead is literally with you in his presence like like god is with us now christ is with us now, right? So that's what he's. That's what he's. And and you can't. You he could not say this. This could not be true if he were not God, right? Like that. Like like he could not. He could not be at the right hand of the Father and with us and every other group of believers gathered together if he were not God. None of us can make that kind of claim about ourselves, right? No human being can claim that. I, I can't be here with you and then with Dustin wherever he's at or, you know, like with my friends. Like, I can't be there simultaneously. But Jesus is, Jesus is saying, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them, right? So anywhere that believers gather, Christ is with them. If this statement is true, the only way that it can be true is that if Christ were present everywhere, right? So this is omnipresence on display uh, here. Matthew um, chapter 28. Look at another place here. 
Matthew 28. Verse 20. So Matthew 28, 20. So here Christ having... I'm going to start in 16, but pay attention to 20. Um, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. Keep keep note that they worshipped him there because we're going to touch on this this idea of Christ being worshipped as well. Um, but some doubted, and Jesus came and said to them, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." Right. So a couple of things that I wants to take note of so if we're gathered together in his name he's with us and this was not just for their time either right so i am with you always and he's speaking here through the end of time here Um, so christ is present with us in the same way that he was present with his uh followers in in uh you know, who lived the same time period that he lived. So Christ is with us to the end of the age. No matter where we go, um, no matter where we live, no matter what time we are, um, this this statement holds true for us. And again, the only way that this could be true is that if Christ is is, is present um, in all in all places. So um, the only way that that's true. Is that if he, if, if he has uh, if he has a nature that's divine, that's the only way that that could hold true. Um, so we've got a couple of other passages here. Um, have it, the bell having rang, I want us to just kind of wrap up there. Um, we'll come back. We'll come back next week and kind of um, start start wrapping this particular this particular piece up, um, and then uh, we'll move on. We'll move on from there. Um, so let's. Uh, I'll close this out in prayer, and then we will, and then we will dismiss.